five, four, three, two, one, zero. All engine running. Liftoff. We have a liftoff. Ground segment for satellites. That is obviously a really important part of the space ecosystem, but we have not yet discussed it on this podcast. Uh, that was overdue, so I'm super happy that Giovanni Pandolfi, who's a co-founder of LeafSpace, which is one of the prominent startups in this field, is our guest this week. Enjoy. My name is Raphael Rodkin, and I'm an investor and advisor to space companies. Just as a reminder, this podcast is for informational purposes only, and nothing should be taken as investment advice. This podcast is sponsored by NanoAvionics, a satellite manufacturer and mission integrator. Their technologies enable many space companies worldwide to offer services that improve life right here on Earth, such as providing global connectivity, conducting Earth observation, or contributing to scientific discoveries. Check them out, and also check out my episode with the CEO and co-founder. Sadly, I am not a rocket scientist, but I'm an alumnus of the International Space University. ISU offers a number of educational programs about space worldwide. Check them out at isunet.edu. And just some final things before we start the episode about ourselves. If you enjoy the podcast, please leave us a five-star rating on your favorite podcast platform, such as Apple or Spotify. If you want us help expand our work, you can do so and support us at www.patreon.com forward slash space business podcast. And we'll also put that link in the episode notes. And lastly, you can follow us on Twitter at podcast underscore space. Hey, welcome back, space enthusiasts. It's time for another episode of the Space Business Podcast. This is one of the episodes where we have a co-founder from a prominent European space startup, Leave Space here. My guest this week is Giovanni Pandolfi, and he's the co-founder and chief strategy officer of Leave Space. Welcome, Giovanni. Hi, Raphael. Thanks for, the, for inviting me. Yeah, it's great to have you here. And why don't we start off, as we always start off in these episodes, with, um, with founders. And do you mind giving us just the elevator pitch on LeafSpace, please? Sure. So LeafSpace is our ground segment as a service provider. So we provide connectivity to satellite operators to simplify their way that they communicate with their asset in space. Uh, we started with just with satellites. We expanded also to launch vehicles. And right now we're supporting a bit more than 80 uh, satellites in orbit. We are doing 12,000 passes per month. So we go quite a bit uh, in, in the last years. And right now we can support uh, different customers with different uh, applications in space from Earth observation, optical, SAR, hyperspectral, to direct to device, to technology demonstrations, OTVs, so quite a few. We believe that really that we are, and this is also what we're trying to do, is really to simplify the user experience to actually communicate with one asset in space, just to avoid that constraint from the uh, operations that you have once you are operating a spacecraft. Okay, great. There's a lot to unpack and we will go through various aspects of what you just said, but may maybe take a step back. And so you and your co-founders, how did you guys come up with that? Did you have previous sort of you know, history with this or what, what was the motivation? So it's it's a long story, actually, because we started LEAF in 2014. So we are, let's say, a kind of old company uh, in the in the new space uh, mm -hmm. market. And we uh, we met with the other co-founders at university in uh, here in Milan, so at Polytechnico in Milano, where we founded actually a, um, a student association doing uh, experimental rocketry that's called Skyward, and they're still doing quite great uh, in the European uh, 
the DNA ecosystem of rocketry. And after a couple of years, uh, we you know we were thinking we say okay let's uh, let's do something more more serious. So let's build our our own company. And we were still at university there. The goal was totally different from what we were what we're doing right now. So the uh, the first idea was to build another uh, small launch vehicle. Let's say for small set. You know it was 2014. Nothing out there. Totally different market. And uh, after a couple of years that we did, you know, a technical feasibility study, economics, business plan, etc., we found it was kind of hard to raise the amount of money uh, that we needed to raise to to build it in, in Italy, especially at that time. Uh, you need to think that it was 2014, 2015, so a totally different uh, startup ecosystem mm-hmm. in Europe and Italy. And, uh, yeah. And we, you know, we, in any case, wanted to continue in the space uh, system. So we looked around and the other sweet spot that we find out was really ground segment, especially for SmallSat, because there were no commercial solution to support those kind of missions. You can see that because back in the days, Spire and Global, that was the first uh, constellation, mm-hmm. they needed to build their own uh, network, you know, to have a good, a good solution that was uh, cost efficient for them. And... Uh, you know, in, in any case, good to to operate. Then, of course, there was KSAT with KSAT Lite, uh, SSC with other solutions and so on. But at, th- at that point, there was really nothing. And so we say, okay, let's, you know, let, let's see. <laughs> let, let's start from there. And uh, I believe we we got it in the sense that maybe initially we were a little bit earlier, too much earlier in the market. But then from 2019, 2020, it really started to grow quite a bit uh, for us. So... No, that's the long, long story. But it all started at university. That, that's, I mean, that's a really interesting story for, for, for many aspects. I mean, A, well, this is a whole discussion by itself, but it's probably a good thing you guys didn't start another launch company. So at least <laughs> sort of, you know, speaking, speaking with perfect hindsight and that's also kind of building that in Italy is probably not easy because you have the established incumbents uh, in Italy and politics. Yeah. And whatever. That, is, that is really a separate episode, I guess we could have on that. <laughs> but it sounds like you guys almost, when you kind of moved away from the launch vehicle, it sounds like you almost had this like engineering type systematic approach and like see, is it was it really like a broad search kind of saying like what else is going on in the space sector and then you guys eventually decided on ground segment yeah yeah basically yes because you know we, we looked around at, at different stuff uh so of course you know we started with launch vehicles we then analyzed also all the in-space uh mobility so the, the second idea was to have like a small uh so the, the launch vehicle was based on hybrid rocket propulsion so the idea in the next idea was to have like a small hybrid rocket motor to do uh in orbit uh, uh transportation so let's say okay and, and then you uh, realized that there was another guy in, in italy luca rossettini already doing it yeah well we we knew Luca <laughs> from quite quite a lot of where of time uh before that actually we were collaborating uh with him uh back in the days yeah uh, but yeah you know it was not the same was not the same thing uh i believe the market at that moment was not that um that already and and, and the ground segment was really because looking at the market and all, all the needs that the market had and the kind of solution and offers that were around at the ground segment you know the, the only thing that you could find for small satellites at that time was really to buy some ground station from uh, isis or from gun space and so on and that was you know probably not not a scalable solution and we did quite a lot of iterations before arriving to the idea of ground segment as a service so before first was let's build some antennas and sell them. Then we find out, yeah, but that doesn't scale uh, that much. And and then, you know, we started with ground segment. We had a lot of iterations that were actually find out what was the best way to, to accomplish that. 
Um, I believe, you know, now we have found our product market fit. That's been really good uh, in that sense. And now it's uh, really to uh, change uh, the way that we are actually actually doing uh, to, to provide connectivity to satellites. You know, if you think about that, we are still quite uh, back in the, in, in the days, like when in, in uh, on the ground, we had these switch boards and the ladies actually switching cables around. It's, it's not that far eh, from what we have right now in space. And that's crazy for me. Understood. And so you guys are coming out of university and I just want to like ask you one question of that because, you know, there's other people out there who are right now sort of in the situation you guys were at, like, you know, at, um, you know, I teach a course, for example, at um, EPFL in Switzerland and uh, on space entrepreneurship. And it's always oversubscribed. There's over 60 people. So there's a lot of people at universities interest of starting companies, but it's, it's also such a, you know, courageous thing to do, right? Because you don't have any career experience yet. And you're kind of straight become, what was like the hardest retrospectively? Was it like, for example raising money was it like approaching customers was it developing the product or what what was sort of the biggest challenge for you guys uh, I, I would say a bit of, of all uh, now first thing on, on the courageous part i believe that we started that early so yes it was let's say courageous but it was also a little bit crazy so we didn't have you know uh, we didn't have loans we didn't have any uh, big attachments or whatever so we could actually make that uh, that step without too too many issues, mm. you know. Maybe when you do it a little bit later, you have yeah, many like things three, to think about. Kids, a mortgage, okay, yeah, I, I see what you're saying. <laughs> so, <laughs> it's it's a bit different, you know. You can you can you can bet it uh, once once you're there. Uh, after it's uh, you know you need to be more serious. So that was the first thing. Uh, raising money. Uh, fortunately, we have been uh, really lucky because one of the other co-founders actually knew uh, this guy. Uh, there was uh, that is Roberto Italia that is also on the board of directors of Avio and uh, we had this meeting and, and this guy said to us that we, we arrived there with launch vehicle stuff with in-space in transportation stuff and so on and the guy said that's too much thing F think about one focus on that and get back uh, here once you're you've defined what you want to do and what's your focus on that so we did that and we came uh, back after I believe few months and then you really said okay i like it this is the number of this guy this is a, a vc fund for early stage startups go with that and that was our first you know, fundraising of our seed round it was 1 million euro uh in 2016 so it was pretty big for that time uh, in italy and uh, so that in some cases was good because the let's say the story the market need and everything was was defined uh talking with customers Definitely hard uh, initially. Uh, at least, uh, you know, um, talking with the standard uh, space operators back in the days was really hard, okay? Because we didn't come with any heritage or with any experience. Uh, so we, we were totally out of the blue. And uh, But with some uh, small such startups that work really well because we were betting on each other, okay? We were betting on them that the satellite was actually working yeah. and they were betting on us that the system was actually working. So that uh, the, uh, at the end worked out. But still, we have uh, we still have some, uh, you know, some push to actually uh, get new customers, especially established customers, because uh, even if now we have heritage, we have operational heritage, you know, it's always, it's, it's always space. So it takes a lot of time to take uh, in the new vendors, new providers uh, in any case. So that's always a, a thing that we need to, to push. So when was this first commercial push? Was it like around 2016 as well? So our first customer, operational customer, we had it in July, 2017. Okay. And the... And the second one, we had it in, uh, I remember, Christmas 2017. I remember that because we, we received this call 
Uh, it was from Israel uh, on the 23rd of December uh, to ask for a, for a, for a Leop support that was uh, scheduled for the 6th of January. So it was pretty tough. <laughs> and we didn't plan to, to you know, we were still re- really early in operation. So we were as common European, we were planning to have our own vacation for, for Christmas and, and the new year. We scrapped that thing and we needed to, to put some, some new stuff on the ground station to actually support this mission. But yeah, that was the start. I really believe the uh, so the inflection curve really happened uh, in 2020 because we had a lot of uh, contacts on paper, but we were waiting for them to to launch. We also had the Vega uh, failure that delayed Vega for for a few months, and we had COVID, and uh, and so from it all delayed a lot of launches for our customers till like November 2020, and then we started to have you know one launch at least one launch every quarter in some cases even multiple launches per quarter and and that grew up quite quite well okay and so and so coming back to the um the 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 product right and so one question i have there is sort of like as you guys said there was some other existing options around you know like people like ksat so and you guys sort of decided you know as as part of this exercise you went through that you told us about okay we should be doing ground segment but it's not like you guys had like you know, had experience in ground segments. So Absolutely. How, how did you approach it? Did you kind of study everybody else who was out there and then said, okay, for these and that reasons, this offering is just not perfect and we're going to do it better in this way? Or how how, how was your like process and thesis that you developed there? It, it's, it was a mix. Uh, so first, yes, we did some uh, competition analysis, you know, but at that time, really, uh, the competition was uh, just KSAT and SSC. And uh, KSAT started to have KSAT Lite, so there was more set uh, solution. Uh, SSC tried to have uh, what was called back in the days SSC Infinity, but they never push it too much. So we looked at those, uh, at those as solutions, okay? But what we really focused on was to look at the, uh, you know, the experience with uh, Spire and Planet how they actually build it, uh, their networks. And because there was a, a fundamental separation, okay, on that, uh, like KSAT, KSAT Lite at the start was, let's say, uh, the standard ground segment with smaller antennas. So with a pricing that was better for uh, for small set, okay. And th- that was it. Uh, what we were trying to do was not just that, so not just having smaller antennas by the price, but really to focus on the, on the user experience. So having APIs, having real-time, uh, data transfer, having automated ways to to move the payload data from the ground stations to the to the end user. Uh, those were a, a lot of things that weren't there uh, at that time. So even even APIs. Uh, when we started, we needed to 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 tell to our customer what an API is, and and we needed to tell to our customer that they cannot book our the passes uh, through emails uh, to us. So you know it was it was a bit of. Uh, of pushing the sense, I believe that we did that uh, because we didn't know how, how it was done. <laughs> so we, we just uh, you know look at how to handle uh, remote locations and how to automate uh, the most of it, and that's why we choose to have some uh, REST APIs. Uh, we didn't want to spend a lot of money on basebands, and that's why we choose to have SDRs uh, on our ground stations, even though at that time there was not that much uh, support. <laughs> let's say of that SDR software. Defined radio, Defined radio. Right? just just exactly. like a non-technical yeah. podcast of like explaining stuff. Yeah. And it's it's a good way to say is of instead of putting a lot of uh, physical hardware radios in in a ground station, you just put 
one digitizer and then you do everything on software and and that actually ends up uh, really good because uh, the first thing that we found out is that every customer use its own protocol there is no standardization at all the only thing that you can be to that you can do to actually work with the uh, n number of customers is really to be as flexible as possible and so the technology uh, really helps on that so i would say yeah we, we analyzed what were up there but we had that part of unconsciousness <laughs> let's say that really helped to to have a, a system that was really trying to simplify the user experience on that way it's almost, it's almost good right it's because like you because you guys were coming in fresh right it also meant so it, of course it was also like hard but it means you weren't held back by any sort of like stupid legacy stuff right because i mean you're saying like booking over email that may have been the traditional way but it's inefficient that's stupid yeah. right exactly you know and uh, then we, we get you know to the uh, to the good part of the heritage stuff so when you you know when you have when you need to build reliable uh, systems and everything you know even initially we actually built out our, our own ground station our own antenna and uh, it turned out not to be a clever a clever way financial wise let's say but uh, it was really good because we really uh, spill a lot of blood <laughs> on those systems to understand how they work to do, to improve them and uh, and with that uh, at some point we decide okay let's fuck it let's uh, buy some antennas from outside and really concentrate on the on the service operation on the on the end user and i believe that was a really a really good move uh, on on our side but if we didn't have that experience of building our own ground station and really uh, spend a lot of time to make it work we didn't have that experience to actually help customers where for troubleshooting or even to troubleshoot with our own system so at the end it, it always paid off <laughs> initially it was quite uh, kind of hard let's say and, and just to kind of take a step back to, to understand your business models you're saying so you used to have your own antennas but now you don't own the antennas anymore is that's what's happening no, no, we, we own the antennas what we used to do is that we were building really building the, oh uh, the i see what you're saying okay of the, of the like literally built okay yes exactly <laughs> and now we're, we're still build it in the sense that we assemble them and the antenna is owned by us uh but we don't we don't build it anymore so we just buy the antenna we still produce uh some of the electronics of the rack because that's particular uh to us but then uh, we just take uh, the antenna our rack and we deploy to the uh, to the site that we that we manage but yeah the infrastructure is completely owned by us we have a couple of ground station that we it's uh it's not the proper uh, it's not our own ownership but we have long-term agreement of full time availability so we don't need to um uh you know to conflict with other operators and i believe you know we really believe that this is the only way to have high service level uh to provide high service level to our customers because we can completely own the infrastructure we can improve it as we want we can decide how to move capacity from one point to the other to satisfy better customers so it's uh it's much easier yeah you can Kind of answer my next question there because the, the, the reason I asked the original question is because as, as you know very well there is some like different business models out there where it's basically like you know virtual ground station networks or some some sometimes you call like Airbnb approach to ground stations but that obviously that's yet another different discussion and comes with its own and disadvantages and advantages I guess so I just want to talk a little bit about sort of like you know, the current user experience you're offering um so kind of you know, can you talk a little bit about your you know uh, what exactly you can offer as a product to the customer and sort of like you know your geographic coverage which you can you can offer now oh and by the way i guess um not to get too technical but um i, I guess in terms of like frequency bands like you know what kind of connectivity you can offer and yeah sure. so let's start from that we uh, we support mainly s-band and x-band 
so two gigahertz for uh, TTNC and uh, spacecraft operation and expand for payload downlink. We still have some uh, small UHF capacity. Uh, that is what with what we started, but we are deprecating it. Uh, basically, there is not that much demand uh, anymore for that, and it's a uh, it's a pain in the ass <laughs> to operate with UHF. It's really really hard to have a reliable system, and uh, and we are expanding to KA. So we will have our first three-band system, so SX and KEA, uh, by Q1 next year in Iceland. So we are expanding really on the all the frequencies that are uh, currently used by commercial customers uh, in orbit. In terms of coverage, uh, we do support any kind of inclination in LEO. So SSO, polar, mid-inclination, equatorial, we have uh, geographical coverage for that. But we're expanding, in any case, to different regions of interest. So right now, we are really well covered in uh, Europe, um, uh, Australia, New Zealand, Sri Lanka, uh, and so on. But we are expanding right now to other sites in South Korea, Mauritius, South America, South Africa, South America, and Mexico. So we are really expanding quite a lot uh, our landscape. And this always to provide more and more capacity to our customers, uh, because we have, as I said before, we support different customers with different applications, you know, and Earth Observation customer did something, uh, telecommunication customers need something else, OTVs need something else, uh, even more. So we need really to be flexible. But in term, what we really provide, I believe it's a real differentiation, uh, with the rest is that, and that's why also we call it ground segment as a service, is that we don't just provide antenna time, okay? Uh, we provide really a connectivity ser service based with ground station, of course, but we provide a connectivity service to our customers. So we cover everything from the antenna, the baseband processing, so how we turn electromagnetic waves to bits, and then from how the bits are delivered to the customers in real time or quasi real time. So the customer really doesn't need to worry about anything else. They don't need to worry about their uh, SDR cloud deployment to, to transmit data. They don't need to, uh, to worry about how to schedule passes around the network. We do that. And we do that also in an automated way so we can really be uh, efficient on uh, how we use the network, what's the duty cycle of each antenna that's at the end it reflects on a really cost-effective solution. Okay, that's great. So in terms of, um, you know, your, your your customer set, right? Is it sort of like any of the standard applications you'd say you can support, whether that's Earth observation or different types of like, you know, satellite communications business models like broadband, IoT, or let's say somebody wanted to do like, you know, one of these alternative GNSS models. Can you can you really support everything? Or is there something where it's like a sweet spot, you'd say, among the customers? So let's say that in general, we can support everything. There's different solutions for supporting everything, let's say. So the standard applications like you know, Earth Observation being it in different uh, uh, payloads like SAR, optical, hyperspectral, no problem. Um, OTVs, so OTVs are all the technology demonstration missions and so on, so where they, the main thing is really providing operation supports, so TTNC and some payload downlink no problem to support. Uh, direct to device and broadband, we also support that. Uh, the uh, the real thing is, we, is really when you need to scale up. So uh, when you need like, uh, you know, hundreds of gateways to support your broadband uh, constellation. So that could be done uh, by us because we have what we call LiftKey, that is a dedicated network uh, solution. So we can build out dedicated networks specifically for a specific mission. Um, it really depends on the scale. 
uh, on that case. Typically, when you when you do broadband, you really need a extensive uh, constellation. So we can support even just part of that, maybe just for the TTNC. But then for the gateways, in some cases, it's uh, it's it's uh, you know it's it's difficult to have a, a a scaling business on that side because it's a specific project done for a specific customer. So we're not anymore you know talking about a product. We're really talking about uh, a project for a specific customer. Okay, so uh, you cannot, for example, rely anymore on a, a multi-mission network as we have LeafLine. You need to really uh, rely on a dedicated network. So yes, it can be done. Uh, we did it uh, for a dedicated net for a specific customer with a small number of antennas. It can be more uh, in case, but it really depends on the on the customer what they what they need and how they want to approach that. You know, if you take the example of Starlink and OneWeb, they had uh, let's say kind of different approach, but at the end of the day, their ground server was really integrated with their own architecture because you need that uh, because it's a, it's a different kind of different kind of business. So I would say everything that is not broadband, yes, we can support. <laughs> Understood. That's, I guess, the reason what you're describing there, that in the end, Starlink and people like that and Kuiper, they're basically building their own like, you know, in-house. Yeah. And, you know, Rock also for us, uh, financial-wise, if we think like, uh, you know, maybe we could have uh, have deployed the OneWeb uh, ground yeah. segment. You know, At some point, it would have been very scary. Yes. Yeah. You, <laughs> you know, have like, like, like that reliant on like such a big customer. Yeah. Yeah, you know, it's a half a billion of, of content for one customer with possible bankruptcy with whatever. So it's, uh, you know, it's tough. Yeah, it's a blessing that seem, seeming bless can start as a blessing and then turn into, turn into a curse. Exactly. For, for sure. And so in, in terms of another thing I'm curious about, so in the industry context is, so we've had, um you know, um, AWS sort of make quite a bit noise around um, their ground segment activities. Can you put that a little bit into perspective for us and kind of like what you are seeing, how they really act? in the ground segment and hey, how they may be either competitors or I suppose also partners for you for guys like you. So I, I need to select what uh, what I need to say. But <laughs> yeah. So, you know, uh, let's start from the beginning. So it was November 2019 when uh, uh, AWS went out with the ground station as a service uh, model. And uh, we were saying, okay, we are fucked uh, because, you know, it's AWS getting in this market with no, no problem to actually invest in infrastructure and no problem even to wait for the market to to arrive okay and also they make this nice presentation with a lot of uh, of customers there was good players and that were so say okay this is definitely a, a change around that uh i believe they and, and we have a lot of discussion with AWS about that but <laughs> i believe you know their the main thing to do that was that was probably starting from a, a wrong assumption so that in order to get to the uh, interesting part for them of the cloud users by space companies, especially for all the data analytics and so on, they needed to have their their own ground stations to actually enable those customers to bring this data directly to the data center. And I believe this uh, assumption was doped by Digital Globe at that time because it was so all the ground station thing really was born because Digital Globe at some point decided to move all their petabytes of uh, archive from their data centers to AWS using also the snowmobile that is the you know the big truck with a lot of hard disk to to move that, and I believe that uh, from that conversation it all uh, it all started the ground station thing at AWS. But the problem is that not all the customers are like Digital Globe, and uh, and then that idea evolved with a thing of providing a bare metal service where you have the ground station around and you as user, you can use it, but you need to deploy your own SDR or your own thing to actually make sure that you make the communication. And so it's another, it's let's say another 
AWS service, but you need to have people to manage that. Okay, if you internally in, in your satellite operator team. And I believe that was uh, that was good for us, uh, let's say, because not all the customers have that capability and not all the customers have that will to actually invest in having a ground segment team to, to use that kind of thing. And I believe also it was a bit probably too early uh, uh, with the market in that sense. And, uh, you know, we, we took advantage uh, of that. We had a quite a good number of customers that went to AWS because of the name and then went to us because of the operations. So that uh, uh, that was good. But one really good thing that they made is that they started to... Uh, break apart, let's say the uh, the model itself, and to break apart the uh, you know the duopoly of KSAT and SSC at least on the uh, on talking about ground segment. Okay, they were the the new big player. What they did it wrong, or what uh, it did it bad for the market is that uh, a lot of people just trust uh, that name because it's uh, it's a big company, it's AWS. But then they find out after that there's not probably that good um so yeah uh as i said initially we really think that we were going out going out to close the company and so on because ws entered at the end of the day it was a good competition i believe when we found out a good way also with some missions we're also collaborating as we're doing with others so at the end of the day it's always it's always good for the market you know it's true that there are uh, some or a good number of operators in ground segment. The actual truth is that the real demand for connectivity and for capacity is not there yet. So KSAT is expanding their network like crazy. We are expanding like crazy. And the demand is is quite a lot. When you're saying you're expanding, is that both geographically as well as adding more capacity in existing locations? Yeah, correct. Exactly. What what we're doing right now, and especially in the in these uh let's say first year after uh, our Series B is really to uh, increase the coverage. So having uh, new locations to provide more capacity per orbit, let's say, but also to doubling up uh, most of the locations that we already have is both to provide uh, uh, higher redundancy, but also to, uh, you know, solve an issue that we have with transporter launches, uh, that there is a lot of satellites on the same uh, launch vehicle. And once they are deployed, uh, you know, you see a lot of, uh, of satellites on the same spot and the problem with the standard parabolic dish is that you can typically speak with one satellite per time so if you have if you're you have a, a you know a swarm of satellites on the same spot one ground station can just uh, communicate with one per time and that's create a lot of issues if you have two ground stations on the same location at least you can communicate with two satellites at the same time so it's it's a way to solve a little bit the the issues of these uh, crowded launches okay so, so like you mentioned, you guys, I think you said you have like 80 satellites now, so 12,000 passes. You just mentioned you, you're kind of past your series B. You've clearly found a product market fit. If you kind of like, you know, you've determined that Amazon is like not going to shut down the company. So like, you know, that scare is gone for the moment. Like if you look out like, you know, five to 10 years, sort of like um, where, where do you see the growth path and then the the ultimate vision where, you know, you want leave space to be in like, let's say 10 years time. You know, our, our vision is, is really is really clear is that we want to provide uh, effective and efficient uh, connectivity service for space assets so that we can really enable the uh, the development of the space ecosystem. Uh, why we say that? Because we really believe that a lot of applications are really 
constrained by the way that we communicate with the space assets because you know you have constraints in terms of assets per day constraints in terms of latency whatever and if we solve that that part make a really simple system to use really flexible to to scale uh, cost efficient uh, and etc i believe we can really uh, build uh, bring down those constraints and really enable you know new applications so there are a couple of things if everything goes well uh, we will increase our capacity have more customers continue on our continuous improvement of the service and if everything goes really really well as we would like is that with our service we are really enabling a new phase uh, of the space ecosystem once where th- those constraints are uh, brought down and then new application can actually be uh, be done uh, in space. If you, we always do this comparison with internet, okay? Uh, internet was uh, designed uh, for certain applications, military applications, but if you look right now, all, all the applications that we're doing on internet, it's crazy, okay? And definitely, I believe the application that was uh, for which uh, internet was designed for is really a small percentage of what actually we're doing on the internet right now. So we believe really that in space, we, we're going to see uh, the same effect. There is a lot of technological issues that we need uh, the, that we need to solve. But if we if we solve it, the capabilities that we can do in space definitely are uh, quite advanced. So that, that's why, you know, grand climate is, is always the, the last thing that uh, someone think about, but is as important as launch vehicles, if, if not more, because really what brings the value of the data down is what enables actually the economy of space right now since we don't have yet economy in situ in space yeah no i fully agree with you and it's and we just we're going to produce so much more data right because i mean you have the i mean if you just speak about earth observation you have the satellites which are up there already but there's like a number of as you know well-financed startups going to put more constellations now we're going to have stuff like you know hyperspectral which is going to produce really a lot of data and and so like yeah we we like i said i think it's really important to make sure there's no constraints because if you have a bottleneck on the downlinking that's just not going to be good but you know that kind of leads me to my next question so i asked you for the vision for leaf space but let's kind of look broader right sort of like where do you see like the whole um let's call it the ground segment uh, sector or whatever you call it the, like what's the broader view of the future there and you know you know some examples that um, i'm thinking of i can i could mention here is like you know um is there going to be a role for like you know um, optical downlinking i mean despite all of the technical challenges how about these like you know people want to set up like relay networks and sort of like try to consolidate some data traffic in orbit and kind of like send it down in a more concentrated way um is there any sort of you know i don't know exciting you um uh, you mentioned before sort of like how one ground station historically connects to one satellite but is there anything exciting on a technology front like new types of like you know antennas that type of thing like your your broader vision for where things are going you know there there are are a lot of things uh that are really exciting and hopefully we'll see fast uh as new application new uses so talking about optical optical uh i really believe that at the end of the day we will get to that uh there are some issues uh, still because of the physics of the optical link, at least to do direct to Earth. For inter link, no problem. It's the perfect thing to do. Uh, I believe even after uh, Starlink actually start to use it quite heavily, we will have a reduction of cost and more utilization of that in space. To, to do that uh, with Earth, definitely possible. It cannot be the only solution uh, because of the physics. So yeah, whenever you have cloud, rain, whatever, that link doesn't close. So you always need to have 
uh, an hybrid solution, RF and an optical. The good thing for us is that the way that we operate right now, that we have a scheduling algorithm that decide how to move the capacity uh, of the network to satisfy the customer constraints and requirements is a good way because we can, you know, dynamically change. If we have a, a link in optical that doesn't work and doesn't close, we can move it to RF and vice versa and upgrade that. So that's a lot a lot of movement, but I believe at the end we will be there. We just need to see how it works with Starlink and the SDA that are putting a lot of money on that. But I believe a good time frame will be 2025, 2026 to start actually seeing commercial things. Now we're seeing the same with the KA. The KA was a few years say, ah, yeah, we have a lot of KA missions coming up, and etc. Right now we're installing a KA because we have a customer with operational satellites in orbit right now with KA. So that, uh, you know, we are market doing so we need to have market to to arrive there. Um, about the new, new kind of antennas, there is a lot of work on on phased arrays or electronically steerable antennas. So, and the good thing of that is that you can have multi beam. So instead of have as you as you were saying before, so we have one dish, one satellite per time. We have one thing, <laughs> one antenna, and they can uh, they can connect at the same time with multiple satellites. Uh, they still cost quite a lot. Uh, as Vind is not uh, yet a commercial solution for ground segment, even though there is there are a couple of companies that are working on that. Uh, but there are, I believe, good uh, uh, good hope to have uh, an operational system with uh, uh, costs that make sense to have uh, to have efficient operations, and that will also simplify quite a lot uh, at the operations also on our, on our hand. And on satellite networks, that's absolutely needed because we can expand uh, as much as we want. The uh our our network on the on the ground, but if we don't find a way to have fiber connection in the middle of the ocean on a ship, uh, maybe with Starlink will be a thing at some point. Uh, but we we need to have some uh, satellite networks to actually relay that information and also to have like a low bit rate, uh, always on connection. There are already some solutions. Uh, they're kind of expensive, uh, still, but there are you know good uh startups that are working really well on that direction like kepler or like others so there is a really a good mo- momentum on that side mm-hmm. when i asked you about optical i should have expanded my question also so so you as you mentioned started with snx and some uhf and now moving into ka but now ka seems to be like everywhere and sometimes it seems maybe maybe i'm being over pessimistic but sometimes it seems like we're kind of going to run out of spectrum there's so much going on do you think there's going to be like are we going to start moving into even other bands like some of the higher energy bands. So I be, I believe that for you know for certain applications we didn't even yet come to the complete use of X band. Yeah? So uh, there are quite a few uh, Earth observation operators that are really uh, cutting the each hertz of that band to put more bits on that. But there are not so many. So there are a lot of other missions that can can that can still build up quite a lot on X band. And uh, I believe that the interesting lately on KA really came by the fact of, uh, let's say, interference and the coordination need between operators of these kind of operators on X-Band. Because when you pass, for example, in really crowded regions like, uh, you know, North Pole or close to North Pole, uh, you have a lot of ground tracks um, overlapping. So the satellites are passing over the same spot at the same time. And if you have two uh, different uh, Earth observation operators transmitting on, on the entire band of X-band, you're, you're causing interference with one to the other. Okay, So your actual usage is really reduced because you need to coordinate with the other operator to be to use that. And I believe from uh, all these transporter launches with crowded, uh, uh, with crowded capacity and going always on the same 
kind of orbit, uh, it really pushed more to move to, to Ka. So not just really for the data rate itself, but really also to have more spectrum to to work with. So I would say yes. Uh, at, at the end, yes. In some cases, optical is more mature than like working with v-band or, or q-band uh, and so on so there is more availability of a supply chain uh let's say but uh there, there are a few missions that are already starting to you to use that for their gateways for example so there, there will be more more utilization of that interesting okay as we're sort of coming towards the the, the, the close of the episode here some some final questions um one if you know potential customers are listening what's the best way to, to connect do they just can you just go to your leaf space website and kind of go from there enter into the customer process yeah we have a really uh simple form on the on the website and then uh, we contact you directly uh, we will have more news in the coming months on how we handle uh, this process of, let's say, onboarding, documentation sharing, pricing, and so on. So we're going to have some big news on that. So for that, stay tuned. But right now, there is a simple form on the on the website, or you can reach us, uh, reach to us through LinkedIn or or X. Right now, I always I still call it Twitter, but it's X. <laughs> Good stuff. We'll put a link on the um, into the episode notes. And so the the two final questions we we pretty much always ask in every episode the first is so if if you weren't doing leaf space kind of what else do you think is exciting to do in like in space business and it's kind of a particularly interesting question to ask you right because you guys have literally like, a few years ago now gone through this exercise of like looking what's interesting if you did the same exercise today what do you think might come out yeah, that, that's a good question actually uh so i don't have a, a clear a clear one, but I believe one of the most let's say interesting application that we have through our customers, and because it's a little bit different than the starter ones, it's really the uh, direct uh, to device. Uh, because that's uh you know it's one of the application that doesn't have a problem of defining the market. So the market is definitely there. There is a, a lot of uh, of demand. Uh, maybe in Europe we don't see that much because we uh, you know we don't have remote places in Europe, let's say. But if you go you know to United States, South. America, uh, Africa, East Australia, whatever else that is not Europe, let's say, there is a really a, a lot of issues with the connectivity in remote places. And if you can solve that without any cumbersome uh, device uh, on the ground, that's that's really good. There's a lot of technical idols uh, to, to solve that. But I believe it's really exciting and really where, you know, you don't need to spend time with investors to actually explain what the market demand is. <laughs> and there is a lot of numbers out there. So I believe that's really, uh, that's really interesting. Great. And then the final question we always ask, and you may have seen this already in other episodes, is, is about science fiction and basically whether you like sci-fi and hopefully you do. And if you do, sort of what are some of your favorite works, whether that's seen books or TV series or movies or other stuff? So, Favorite ones, and I have up there, uh, is the uh, Free Body Problem uh, trilogy uh, from 16U. That's crazy as a, uh, I know if you, if you read it, but or any one of the listeners read it, it's, yeah. mm-hmm. it's crazy. So you need to pass by the English uh, translation that is not that easy on the first book. The second and the third, I believe it got better on the English translation. Uh, but it's interesting, one, really for, for that, really how the let's say Chinese expressions can be translated in English, because you see that there is a lot of difficulty uh, on doing that. But the story is crazy, crazy good. And another couple of books that I just uh, read in the last few months are the from uh, Daniel Sanchez. I was checking the... <laughs> the one is Delta V, and the second one mm-hmm. is Critical Mass. That is a, is a biology, uh, let's say. And it's all started about uh, in-situ resources utilization. So from asteroid mass, 
mining to uh, moon mining. And the it's really hard sci-fi. So there is a lot of technical content, uh, really well done. The story, really good. So those are the you know the, the two things that uh, at least I, I read recently and I really, uh, really enjoyed that. I can certainly, I, I can endorse all of your recommendations there. <laughs> Giovanni, thank you so much. It was a pleasure to have you on. All, all the best to you and, and, and to Leaf Space. Thanks a lot, Rafael. Well, that's it for another nominal episode of the Space Business Podcast. If you like this podcast, please consider giving it a five-star rating on your favorite podcast platform, such as iTunes. You can follow us on Twitter at podcast underscore space. Also consider supporting us at www.patreon.com forward slash space business podcast. If the podcast got you interested in learning more about the business opportunities in the space economy, Check out my new online course on space entrepreneurship on udemy.com. The link is in the episode description. Lastly, if you have any feedback, including ideas for guests, and that may include yourself if you have an exciting space story to tell, or interested in being a sponsor, drop us an email at spacebusinesspodcast at gmail.com. I look forward to seeing you for the next episode.